So let's begin just with one or two themes that we have to keep in mind. And I'll start with a very nice mushal that was shared with me. I'm not going to mention his name, but I didn't ask him, so I won't mention the name. But he's an executive in a VC tech firm. It's a startup that's doing very well. And we were discussing the following kasha, which Avi I raised last night, so they're not going to hear it yet. You'll hear the preview. But it's a good kasha. At Sarasame Chuva, we all know that we get very from. So Ma brings down that even if you eat uh, Anderson pretzels or Stella Duro cookies the rest of the year, Sarasame Chuva, you only eat Pasi is that the only chumrah? Different shmuel is not for now. Why that chumrah was picked? We have 55,000 things that are machlekes v'shainim. Why that one? But that's not for now. The fact that it exists. So for a seri tshuva, we only eat pas yisrael, which is for most of the places where we live, it's very available all year round. And many Ashkenazim amachmer all year round. The machaber holds if it's available. It's a chiv. So this is our chumrah. So I'm sure you've thought of the inherent problem over here, and that is you can't fool HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Let's go with that Hanacha. I think it's pretty safe. So for 10 days, we put on a show that we're going to be makbid on the shita that the Machaber holds is the Iker Adin, and since cake and cookies and bread is available, we're going to be machmir to buy it. If you're on a business trip and there's nothing to eat, but Anderson pretzels in the airport, then you could talk about it. It's not more common the rest of the year. So we're doing a small chumrah to be on our best behavior. So that's very strange. We're doing something that right after Yom Kippur, we're going to stop doing. So assuming, and nobody disagreed with me over here, if you have any kashas, you can yell out within reason, but you can't fool a Baruch Hu. So Hashem knows, and we know, we're doing this only for 10 days, and three days of them are yontif. We keep Pasisrol anyway, Shabbos and yontif, so we have seven days of mysterious nefesh, and then we're going to stop. So what's the purpose? To do something that we're not really taking on? What's the, what's the theme over here? So this fellow wanted to tie correctly that the way it works in the VC world is that you have first round funding and then you usually burn through that cash pretty quickly and then you go to second round and often you go for a third round and you're sitting with the investors and the investors want to know two things. They want to know, number one, what did you do with all the money I gave you in the first place? It's a fair question. And number two, what do you plan on doing with the next $300 million? So at a presentation, what you have to do, and this is not only assumed that this will be part of the presentation, it's preferred even though you know and the investor knows that the potential you're showing him and the plans you're rolling out are not going to be done next week. But he wants to know what's the long-term game plan. And during the presentation, you will say certain things and talk about certain hedurim in your software and whatever bells and whistles you're putting in that will enhance the product and the market, and therefore 
you should be zeicher to this third round of funding. He knows and you know that you're probably not getting to this now. Maybe you'll never get to it. But the investor wants to see what you can do. He wants to see what your shifas are. He wants to see what you're thinking about. He wants to see if you plan on assuming godless. Whether that particular thing works or not is not really that relevant in the scheme of things. And if the investor is convinced that you have it within you, you have the drive, you have the cheshik, you have the ingenuity, and you really want it, then you'll get third round, fourth round, fifth round. You'll get whatever you need. We come to Akash Baruch Hu, Erev Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and we're asking, depending how old you are, if you're 35, you're asking for a 36th round of funding. He's saying, gave me life, and you gave me a panasa, and you gave me nachas, and you gave me a head, and you gave me the ability to daven, to learn, to make a panasa, give staka. And now I'm coming back. It's a new contract. Whatever happened before, as any good prospectus will tell you, you cannot derive from past historical performance anything that might or might not happen in the future. But you can ask. So you come, and you say, I want a renewed lease, and I'd like to have the funding. I'd like to have the atchelis and the wherewithal. Can I have it? That's really the basic bottom line of our tefillahs. So in the presentation, you show what you can do, even though you weren't doing it yesterday, you're not necessarily doing it tomorrow. And that's not considered a fake. That's considered very real. Because you're looking for something on the theme of where can I be mahadir? I'm basically doing the mitzvahs. Where can I raise the bar? And there's an example of a chumrah. Not that difficult, but I'm interested wherever I can to raise the bar. Am I going to keep this? Am I going to continue? Maybe I will. But even if I don't, I'm going to look for other things. I'm just showing you a sampling of what I can do. And therefore, can I have the next round of funding? And I think that's a very apropos mushal. A bit frightening because I said this concept with various mashalim all coming to the same concept and the same pushback I get is why are we renewing a lease? We're alive. So that question is a mistake. We don't often look at it. We're not renewing a lease. We're alive. We're the marikama, so we think we are, and we're the muksuk. So I don't have to renew it. I have to, I'm diving to keep it the same. I'm renewing a lease. So we don't like to think in those terms because it's too frightening, but that's really what's going on. You're renewing a lease. And to renew a lease and to get more cooperation and get more funding requires a certain benchmark to be hit and requires honesty and what went wrong. And yes, you burned through that extra $150 million and that project was a mistake, and that move was a mistake. So come clean. Tell me what the mistake was. I'm an investor. I've done that too. And tell me about it, and I'll give you the funding. Just show me you recognize a mistake. You're willing to own up to it. And then ask for more. And tell me the plan. That's our job. And what holds us back is a number of things, but I'd like to focus just on one or two of them. The two are going to be our lack of understanding of our real kachas and what can we really do, and underestimating ourselves. We become humble in the wrong place. 
And the second part, the Mitzvah Shem is going to be about where tefillah plays a role and what you're really allowed to ask for, what you should ask for, and how to deal with when we get a no. Let's take the first one because it's a big problem. You think you live in an age of gaiva, people wouldn't have this issue, but low self-esteem is particularly dangerous when it comes to what you think you could do in your ruchnius and your learning. And many people, this is convenient, undershoot. And they say, ah, it's miyani, mani. Whenever I hear them, people, I say, you know, it's very nice you're repeating Masih Sasharim. You should use that when you're talking to your spouse and you have to admit she's right and you're wrong, which they claim never happens. But even if it didn't happen, you lose nothing by acting like an honor. And all of a sudden over here, I'm at the Gadladar, and I'm at in Kedish, and I'm at this, and I'm at that, and what does that have to do with anything? As we began, and I mentioned this day shows that the first job we have and the last job we have is to uh, have our head shakur and ruchnius and learning, and then you also got to put in honest day's work and pay the bills. That's not a steer. Question is, how much can we squeeze in in the lachtach abaderech and in the lunch break, and how much news do we really have to watch? I'm not going to get started on that. But that's a big issue today. But whatever it is, cut it by 90%, and you will still have chazara on everything in triplicate. I can even tell you what it's going to be. Total waste of time getting everybody completely bent out of shape. So the job for us is to understand that we can actually do a lot more and the first example is going to be a very, very fascinating pick of the Rabbi Lezer. Pick of the Rabbi Lezer brings down the story of Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish, you know from the Gemara, two days in Taisis actually, what happened there, either he was a Balchuva or he was an FFB and went off and came back when he was younger, had a wild year in between, so to speak, and he came back. So the Gemara tells that he met Rabbi Yechanan, he went for a swim, and then he was offered an unbelievable shidduch, and he took it, and the rest is history. He became a Talmud, then a Talmud Chavar, and became the Gadol Adar. Rabbi Yechanan Lakish led the whole generation. Pekat Rabbi Lezer tells us another crucial component to this story, and the background is very important for us. Pekat Rabbi Lezer says that Rabbi Lakish, apparently during this Tkufa, when he wasn't yet with the program, had a very lucrative business, him and two other friends. And it describes that they had a gang and they used to go during the day by the crossroads and if anybody would have the misfortune of walking by, they sort of explained it to him. And they told him that we don't want to hurt anybody, which I'm pretty sure Shlokish never did, probably never had to. We know from the Gemara he's very strong, very imposing. And he said, uh, we explain this to you. We sort of collect taxes over here and just the people that pass by and this is the fee and are you interested in joining our lucrative business? If the guy made the mistake of asking what do I get for it, then they probably explained it to them again. And they would pay and the Medrash describes in detail that every night they went back to their cave, their hideout, and they looked at the loot and they split it and they were getting wealthier and wealthier and it was a very enterprising uh, operation and huge, huge returns. Do not include it in this operation here. But, uh, but they were having a great time and life was great. Medrash describes one night Rish Lokish was tossing and turning and tossing and turning and 
the whole matzah was bothering him, and he stayed up the whole night thinking and realized this is not a very good occupation for a nice Jewish boy. And he got up before Aloysa Shachar, and he slipped out of the cave. That's noteworthy already, because he knew these were his good friends, and he tells them that in the morning, they're going to talk him out of it, and he's going to be talked out of it. So he has the initiative, he's running now. Left, never went back. My conjecture is that the Gemara, when he met Rabbi Yechanan, was that day after he left, and that day or the following day, and he met Rabbi Yechanan, and Hashem brought him to Rabbi Yechanan, his Rebbe, and the rest was history. Medrash then says that many, many, many decades later, Reish Lakish, Beseva Teva, was Nifter, and the day he was Nifter, his two old buddies were Nifter as well. I hadn't seen them. Suddenly he went back to try to be Makar of them, not right away because he was vulnerable. Also an important lesson. First separated himself, but as Reish Lakish, he tried, and... All three were nifter in the same day. And the Medrash describes that the three neshamas were parer, pa'avir, and two of them unfortunately went to Shol Tachtiyas, and Rish Lokish went to the highest spot in Elam Haba. What's the purpose of telling us that they all died in the same day? So we have the Yartzeit, you should have an Ayakichel, have the other two in mind also. Like what's, the, uh, what's the concept here? So the Pashup shot, nothing is pushed in this Medrash, is that we'd like to think, and nobody likes this prat in the Medrash, even though this is the pshat, because it makes everybody feel uncomfortable, because it's a machayev. And that is, the reason Reish Lakish and his two friends teamed up and did so well in business is because they were very similar, and they had similar likes and dislikes, and their operational procedures, and everything was the same, and they really got on very well. And that's why, in Gashmias, it worked extremely well. When we look back to Yeshiva, and you think of a first year best measure, second year best measure, 11th grade, it doesn't make a difference. And you bump into one of your old friends, and you remember him. And says, yeah, you were the guy always asking all the good kashas, and you're Mechavan Tabiki Vegas kashas, and you're the guy who finished the Mesechtas of the Be'iyan, and I remember you. He says, that's why you're you, and I'm me. So we, in our Anivas, assume the reason he succeeded, this is what many of us told ourselves and others in yeshiva, that the reason I'm not him is because I don't have his yichus, and I don't have his head, and I don't have his dislike, and I don't have this. We have a whole long list of excuses. Here, Reish Lakish is with his two friends, and they're all very similar in talents, in raw talents. And the Medrash says they had the same lifespan also, same opportunities, same amount of time to work on things. At the end of the day, one became Reish Lakish, and the two became nobody. And if you'd ask them, they would say, yeah, it's because we weren't Reish Lokish. They can't say that because they were so similar, all three of them. They didn't have that excuse. So what's the difference between Reish Lokish and his two friends? Difference is thinking about it and seizing the opportunity, seizing the initiative. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that this fellow is succeeding and I'm not because he has ABC. Now, it's often true. People are different. But at the end of the day, we all end up doing what we want to do if it's important to us. I remember I was in the bungalow colony. This story happened more than 20 years ago. And I was walking to Shachris. They had three of them, at least. I might even talk about the illegal ones after Zman Tfila. 
So I think I was a Sunday morning, I was going to the 8 o'clock, and I'm walking by around 10 to 8, and you know, bungalow colonies, they have these tables where you could play backgammon chess and the like, and 7.50 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and there are two guys already involved heavily, bent over the table in the middle of a chess game. I thought it was an odd thing to see. As I walk by, I take a look at the board, and I say, uh, you guys are up uh, pretty early. And one of them said, uh, we're, we're, we're working on it, we're concentrating. Didn't answer when they davened. I said, you know, we're davening in 10 minutes. He said, no, no, we caught the early minion. They got up with Messiris Nefesh to play chess at uh, 7.50 a.m. I went to daven, I learned, I came out. And it's around 10.30, 11 o'clock. And these two guys are still sitting there with their head down. I looked at the chessboard, nothing much moved. And I went over to them. This is, I was uh, not married very long, and neither were they. And uh, one of them I knew, the other one I didn't. And I, I said, you know, this is uh, going on for a few hours. They said, shh, we're concentrating. So I said, um, doesn't look like things are moving. So they said, well, we're getting there. I met them at Bincha. I said, it's good to see both you guys here. When did you finish the game? Ten minutes ago. I said, how did it go? So the one guy I asked said, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. So I mentioned to him, what I find interesting here is uh, how are you able on Sunday morning through Sunday afternoon to sit and concentrate on a chess game for like nine hours? So he smiled. He said, it's interesting you ask. I didn't know this fellow very well. He says, let me tell you a story. I was in yeshiva, if you call it that. Yeshiva was a real yeshiva. His sojourn in the yeshiva, he was not too sure whether he was considered in, but he was in a yeshiva. And then he was in another yeshiva, and then Masifta, he was in a third, and then in 10th grade, he was in a fourth. And he had convinced himself and his parents and his rabbeim that he can't really sit for more than seven minutes. Seven minutes a day is about his saturation point. Certainly not more than seven minutes in one shot. And he said, by 12th grade, I was already out. And then I got married at a pretty young age, which is good. Chaim holds at 17 in a day, but that's not Nagea. Uh, so went out to work. I wasn't yeshiva. I didn't want to. I'm wasting my time, and I got the, this job, that job. I got married, and then, Baruch Hashem, Mishal Tev we had a baby, and the job or two or three or four that I had in those eight, nine months before I got married and the ten months since I got married weren't really paying any bills. I said, why not? He said, I never really held a job because I can't concentrate for more than seven minutes. Anybody here ever meet something, something like this? We'll find out soon. The answer is nobody's sitting in this room, that's for sure. So I said, what happened after that? The guy now is married to my estimation at least 10 years and looked like he's making a nice panosa just from the chess pieces. So I said, well, what are you doing now? So he says, I'm a day trader. I said, are you crazy? A day trader? He's like, you can't concentrate. You can lose like a million dollars every time you space out. 
he said, don't tell me. He says, when I started this, people thought it was the most insane idea for my mental profile. And the first couple of days, I lost whatever money I had and a few of my relatives had. So I said, if it's 10 years later, why are you in it? He said, I had a long talk with myself, and I realized that I got a baby and a wife and another one coming, and I got to make a panasa. I forced myself, he said, it was painful. I forced myself to sit and concentrate. He says, you know, the business, a day trader can't get out of his seat from like 9.25 to like 4.05. You can't blink. You can't go to the bathroom. I said, yeah. He said, I did it after a few months, and then I started making money. That's not a guarantee, even if you can concentrate. But he said, Then I realized that I've been lying to myself and to everybody else for 20 years. The number one excuse, I can't concentrate. I don't know. There are people at different levels of concentration. There are people who have more dyslexia. It exists. But he realized that he had to do this because he's got to pay the bills. He says, if I could do it for this, why can't I sit down and learn a block of murder? And that's when I started reviewing everything and making major changes in my life. And now, I still work. I play chess, as you have noticed. And I learn about four hours a day. And I enjoy it. So Reish Lakish, when he meets his friends in Olam Haba, they're going to say, yeah, if I had a head like Reish Lakish, if I had the disposition of Reish Lakish, we could also become Reish Lakish. But they couldn't say that because they were very similar. And it took away the excuse. So now you know why everybody looks uncomfortable. Because until now, you know, we're like thinking, okay, we're learning. It's a young Ian. Got to come. Hopefully the drushes will be somewhat interesting. But as long as they're not too oppressive and getting us to really get nervous, we're in good shape. Then when you realize that we live with a lot of lack of truth-telling to ourselves, forget everybody else, that... We're at this ceiling, and we can't raise the bar, and we're doing great things. We're going to Minyan, and we're davening, and we're learning, and we're giving staka, but I can't do more than this. Until you realize, Leilainu, that tefillah can take on a whole new level when a person really feels he needs it, just that we don't really feel we need it because I'm not renewing a lease. This is what I have. I have bite on this, but it's not true. Until we realize that, yes, we can cut a pretty big check or at least a larger one when we feel it's necessary. This is all in the Beis Levi by Yosef and the Shiftei that he tied it on them. If you have this Mahalach, why don't you use it across the board? Hashem shows everybody, the Ilam Haba, what they can do. And if you had enough brains for this, and you had enough Cheshek for this, you have to figure out how to turn it on for the Ruchnius. And it can make a difference of another 5%, 10%, 20% in performance. And you open up all new avenues of things you didn't think you were capable of. There was a 16-year-old young man. won't mention his name, but he's been calling me, pounding away week after week for the last five, six months because he wasn't from, wasn't brought up from when he was 15 and a half. He wanted to become from, and he became from, a self-made young man. And with Gavaldic, he was 
in yeshiva. Got himself into a yeshiva. And the only small little detail which happens once in a while is they sort of realized he wasn't Jewish. Not an uncommon scenario. So his Rebbe brings him to me, uh, walks to the office, says, we got a big problem. Meet this young man. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 16. I said, what's the problem? He says, I want to be Jewish. So I got to figure out how to say this nicely. I said, don't take this in the wrong way. Some of my best friends are 16. However, the last person you want to do a gay on is a teenager. Going through a phase, they're here today, gone tomorrow. I said, uh, we need stability. You also have to know a lot. And this is not just because you have to push away a potential gear. It's because it's lifting the you got to learn a lot. And you just became from. So I said, well, get your schedule. Get your tutors and rabbeim in the yeshiva. And we'll um, see how it goes. And uh, I was giving it in my mind 40%, 30%. And we'll see if you acquire more knowledge enough to be able to not going to know everything, but to take the plunge and at least don't come to a Shabbos and a Sudi, you don't know Chazbachas, you don't know Shabbos. And then we'll discuss it. He learned straight through Corona. The first conversation was Hanukkah. He learned straight through Corona 10 hours a day. He's a 16-year-old normal American kid. And then he starts pressuring after Shavuos. He says, Rebbe, we need to do it right away. So I called him over for a meeting in person. He's been giving me reports. I said, I don't understand. Why don't you just keep Zion Mitzvahs? There's a place in Allahabah for you. He says, Zion Mitzvahs? He says, anybody could do that. We're just not so partial. Look around. But let's assume, Naniach, anybody could do that. He said, Rabbi, I, I, I want to learn. I want to be a Mitzvah Vaisa, he tells me. He says, I want to be a Mitzvah. I said, why? He says, it's the MS. Do I need any more commentary? There are people, when they think about life, just the Pell is, he's 16 and he figured all this out. And he would have been fine with Zion Mitzvah, and it's a risky proposition. I, I told him a thousand times you do this and you're stuck and you can't change your mind. And you really got to do this, and there are ups and downs, and it's not so easy. And he pressed and he pressed and he pressed, Baruch Hashem. He's now a member of Klai Yisrael. But it's such a musr for anybody looking because if you're born into it and you know it's MS, but you got to stop once in a while and say, it's an achrayis and whatever we're doing, we should be begging to be able to do more and it's within our reach. He figured out from the outside, I'm never going to get it anywhere. And within the days, it's a tricky thing because there's no one date to do it. I said, look, Let's get to after Tisha B'Av. You need a little more time, three weeks, not a muzzle dick of time. We'll do it after Tisha B'Av. So, of course, mostly Tisha B'Av, the phone rings. It says, is that mikvah open tonight? So I said, I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe not, but we're not doing it tonight. But uh, if you come here, we'll, we'll test you. We want to see. It's not just the Chaimer. It's, is this serious? Baruch Hashem, he was extremely serious and focused. And I introduced them to a lot of our chavra because I want them to see that wherever you are, the Avedis Hashem in one line is not be satisfied with where you're holding. That's, that's the line we have to remember. So we have Averis after Tshuva for, those are the Alchites, and we got to say Slichas, and we say Hashem Hashem, and we need Rachamim. But you can go through Yom Kippur and miss the main point because most of it is Alchites. 
the biggest al-khayt is not written there. And that is the positive things that I did, the learning and the tzedakah and the ma'asim tevim. Did I do what I am really capable of? And you can't answer that question until you start digging and then pushing and thinking of things that you thought were impossible. There's no al-khayt for that. But in Shamayim, there's a taina. Why didn't you do more? So how do we get there? So as I mentioned, tefillah plays a very, very central role all year. It's underutilized, even though we dive in three times a day. And Yom Narayim, where the Shur Hashem Matzai, the tefillahs are that much more powerful. So why is it that people often don't give the concentration and kachas they can to tefillahs? So the honest answer or question that I get from people is I used to daven, I was davening for many things over my life, and I was davening for specific things, and I didn't really get an answer, and therefore I know Hashem is there, and I'm, I have no problem with the Amuna, but it's hard to work as hard. That is a question on everybody's mind, and there are two things you have to keep in mind. Number one, Hashem always hears the tefillah, obviously, and quite often answers right away. If we have schusim, and what we're asking for is not good for us, then the answer will be loy with an olive, because there's too much of an isayan. Now, we all know, Chazal tell us many times, Ashiris is an isayan, Aeneas is an isayan, and then most people tell me, yeah, I'll try the first one, and we'll see how it goes, and then we'll work on the rest. But that's said in jest, I hope, because Chazal are telling us the aside, it might be the bigger of the two, because it's a tremendous achrayas. And whatever you can do, the theme over here is you have to think that you could have done 20% more. You have to think bigger. So, in Shmon Esrei, throughout the year, we ask for many things. Baruch Haleinu is like given top billing in Shmon Esrei. Fine. Make upon us as a grace of Zach. But sometimes we're working on something and it doesn't come through and the deal didn't close. And you wonder why didn't Hashem answer? The answer is that one answer could be no. And the second possibility is the answer will be yes, but you need X amount of tefillahs or X amount of tshuva or X amount of... There's so many things playing over here that we don't keep in mind that the decision of the timing and if it's yes or no and whether it's good for us is fortunately not up to us. So how can we approach it that we can utilize it best without getting burnt out? I've been three times a day. So three times a day, some people, I'm giving you the honest comments from people, and I'm happy they're honest, because it tells me what's on people's mind and what we need to work on. And it's on everybody's mind to some degree. So I believe there's one pasuk of all the pasukim the David Mal speaks about, about tefillah. You've all heard the Pasuk, made it into a song that'll help us remember it. Three questions. Number one, what's Tefillah La'ani? If you're not an Ani, you have to daven also, maybe more so. What's Kiyatayf? 
got the one drush is you put in a talus, Kosh Baruch showed Moshe Rabbeinu had a daven. And what's Yishpach Sicha? Yishpach is the poor. Why is it called Sicha? It's a conversation. So I believe in this one, Pasuk, basically every Yisod you need for Tvila to be more Matzliach. Tvila Lani is not talking about income level and tax bracket. It's talking about a person who understands that whatever they're doing, you can pat yourself on the back once in a while because you've got to give yourself encouragement and you are accomplishing and everybody here is accomplishing, Gavaldik. But after that, once in a while, the need for encouragement, understandable from you, from your spouse, to your spouse, to the family members, to your friends, very needed. And then you have to get serious to focus on what more you can do that you didn't believe you can. And you have to look at yourself as an uni that I'm not fulfilling my potential. If you start tefillah as, I'm an uni, I still have a lot of work to do in my maizim. I'm an uni that I don't have a contract and I have to renew the lease all the time. Then, it's a tremendous motivation. It'll lead to kiyatav, yatav in Lashon Kedush, I think even modern Hebrew, matefa is an envelope. Putting something, you're folding it in half. So, an anikiyatav is a person who's bent over. This is not sad or depressing. This is actually very uplifting. Why are you bent over? So, an ani, mamish doesn't have what to eat, leolainu. He's bent over because he's sabrochen. That's not what the Pusik's necessarily talking about. It's talking to all of us that if you understand that you're an ani and there's so much more you can do and make for Klaisro and Kiddushem Shemayim you will be bent over with the responsibility in the Achrayas that it's up to you, and it's even up to you. And then people say, again, it's up to Anoshim Chashuvim and Gedalim and leaders. It's not true. Every single person who adds to his Avedis Hashem puts more electricity and shifa in the atmosphere. So Kiyatov is you should feel a bit weighed down by the Achrayas every day by Kriya Shema Alamita to quickly review, this is what I did, quick pat in the back, I'm happy, encouragement, and this is what I could have done. I could have squeezed out another 20 minutes. Could have squeezed out another kind word. I could have squeezed out a little more kavanah and tefillah. You have to be a little bit weighed down with that achrayas. Then it leads to yishpach sichoy. We have a and then some people don't want to say this, but I actually appreciate the honesty. I just have a Sometimes they really mean they just have a and now it's time for mincha. That's not good. Should be a few hours in between. But they meant they dive in early in the morning. And I said everything I had to say. Why are we dive in Mincha again? That Mincha and Meir of uh, 10 minutes apart or an hour apart. There is so much to ask for. If you realize what the potential is, and you realize how much more you can do and you need Siat Hashemai every step of the way, you will be diving in a way where it pours out. It'll come gushing out. You finish the Shachris, you can't wait for a Mincha. You finish a mincha, you can't wait for a mayor. That's how much there is to say and to ask for. And we don't often look at it like that. I'm doing the right thing. I'm from, and everything's going well, and I davened already, and I was dead It has to be, you're an uni in a positive way, meaning there's not so much more you can make. You're a little bit bent with the achrayas, not bent in half, but weighed down. You understand what's at stake, and that every minute counts. Then the tefillah will be pouring out. Yishpach, sichai. And the last word is crucial. I encourage people. It's not a chiv. Anshakanesa put whatever kavan is you need 
all thrash monitors that cover every possibility of anything you want in Ruchnius and Gashmias. However, on our Madrega, we don't always feel that. We're tapping into it, we don't always feel it. It's Kadai. I've told people to do this, and it really it makes the Shmanas very different. You will look forward to the Mincha and the Meyer of the next Shachris, because for us, we need the conversation. Yishpa Sicha is you're going to look forward, it's going to come spilling out. You want to have a conversation with Hashem. Now, once you know that Hashem is always listening and answering, whether it's yes or no, it's good for you, it's not good for you, it's a conversation. Take a moment to Shmachalainu and put something in. If you know Lashna Kaidish, do that. If not, Yiddish, English, whatever you know. It'll make your whole Shmon Esri different. You could put it in if it's very urgent in the Brach itself. It's Nagea, we do it in Rifainu. We do it in Brechalainu if it's something particularly pressing, a deal about to close or not close. You could put even more after the Ratzon or Lakainitzer. Put it in once in a while. You'll see that you're now looking forward to the conversation. And if you do that on a consistent basis, you'll start clamoring, why are we only davening three times a day? I need to talk more. You know what? If you need to talk more, there's the Hillam. And as you're walking in the hallway, you can eat the Chaza over Mishnayis, or you can say a capital. Plenty of opportunities. It's endless. But you have to understand the responsibility of the need to reach out for more Siat even though everything's going great. It's fantastic, but if you miss out on a madrega that you could have had, and you don't have it because you didn't even think that you have shaykhs to that, that's not in the al because it's the elephant in the room of the entire Avedis Yom Kippur. Did you use the kalim I gave you to the maximum? Your talents, your money, your seichel, your charm. You can be my in a lot of people. Everybody here is so charming, so use it. You can be nice to people, have friends, influence people. There's a book like that somewhere. So use it for Ruchnius. Then it's Siv, famous Maisa. It's a mitzvah to tell this over and internalize it. Then it's Siv, called the family together for a big Mesiba, big Mesiba in Volusian, can't imagine it was that fancy, but whatever they could pull together. And he was putting out his first safer and the shultas. And then Siv was already learning Yonvalila for decades. The family asked him, My Kule Hai seems to be very, very into this moment and he was very emotional. And he told them, he said, Let me tell you what happened when I was thirteen years old in Europe. 0.001% of the people was able to learn in Masifta Yeshiva Gedele. Everybody went to Cheder, we hope, and by 13, the economics were that if you weren't a superstar, you were out working, and then because they eat him and do what you can, but we don't, can't afford to send too many Bachram. Volazhin was the one Yeshiva, a few hundred Bachram, Vizehu. Baruch Hashem, the Racham of Baruch that in America we can't afford that. Yeshiva is needed because often between everything else going on, we start a little late and we need it as an irmiklot. And there are many reasons why that's not the scenario today, Baruch Hashem. But that's the way it was in Europe. And I was 12, 13 years old and I was a very um, energetic young man. That's wild in English. 
And I was sitting in my room and I overheard a conversation from the kitchen. My parents were talking and said, you know, he's already by mitzvah and we see Amasmed, he's not. We thought he had a good head and um, we should really call the uh, shoemaker because he's going to take an apprentice and we want it to be our son. Umnus Kalanakia, very nice. Shoemaker is always needed. And, um, and he'll learn what he can. Gavali, nothing wrong. Unless, of course, you're 13 years old and you're the Nitziv to be and you know that you have a phenomenal head and you have Cheshek there somewhere just due to youth. It wasn't turned on yet. He heard the conversation, he started crying, he ran out into the kitchen and he begged his parents, give me a few months, I'll show you what I can do. The rest was history, he became the Nitziv. The Shulta is just the first safer. And he said, I would have come up to Shemayim, Achameh Esrim, and they would have started the Din Terah. Now, we're all familiar with the part where you're warned by many drushes you heard, they're going to play a videotape. And the videotape goes from when you're bar mitzvah, and it goes, and Chabaz Chaim always is to bemoan the fact that we never have no bitachon. Hashem has to make these devices to show us, yes, really, ayin roya, and it's being recorded. And so we're used to this now. Everything is being recorded, and everything's being, and there's enough computer software in Shemayim to hold all the information for billions of people. Adiyaz Gold said that we couldn't, if you're the Chabaz Chaim, you just knew that was true. Vizchaz Chazal said it was true. He said, Nebuch, uh, when the phonograph came out, that's a record player, which nobody knows what it is. That's a CD player with a thing that had vinyl. And uh, <laughs> he said, that's Nebuch, due to Amadrega, but it's Amadrega, and we know what it means. So they play the videotape, and all of a sudden, there are parts that are missing. That's our truva, that's our alchait, erased it. And we're pretty comfortable with that, because we do daven, and we say, the alchait that erases it. What's the problem? So as I mentioned before, the theme over here is not the bad stuff, it's what you could have accomplished. So the Tziv says, Rachman Lafana would have come at the Shemayim, and the Malach would have started screaming, where's your shultas? Say, excuse me, my shultas? I'm a shoemaker. What shultas? What's a shultas? Of all the things to write on, that's for a safer word. I'm a shoemaker. So they would be screaming at Shemayim. He says, no, no, no. There's a long list of farm. There's the Emek Davar Chumash, and there's all sorts of, and then there's all the Shirem of Elijah. Where is it? He says, I would have been gone. The message isn't here. Can I want you to ask some employees after this? The message isn't everybody should be following out and uh, writing this farm. You should be doing that, but after hours. It's the scariest Misa. Imagine he was, he, he was very serious. I'm making a party here because I came this close to losing everything I was supposed to do and none of it was an Avera. There's no Avera. It's a mitzvah rabbi to be a shoemaker. Make an honest panosa for the right person. And I looked, where in the world are all your farm? And I wouldn't have known what in the world they were even asking. So for us, whether you are capable of writing over your notes from Shear, whether you're not, they'll come up and they'll say, well, where was that extra seder you had? What seder? I barely can make do with what I had. Uh, where was that large check you were going to make to that kailah? Well, what large check is as I, they were hounding me for paying my regular bills? And if that's true, you're in good shape in Shemayim. But if they start asking you for things that you had no clue, like what is that shaykh to me? And it was very shaykh, but you never thought out of the box that leilenu could be an issue.
I'll end with a maisa that is not in print. Most of the things I say are not. They're on video somewhere, but even this one I have not said over in many places, but it's, um, this is a apropos place because we have a lot of good business minds over here. I'll leave out the names. Anybody here um, old enough might be able to figure it out. There was a company when you first called me, so you started explaining to me about a Yemi and about learning the office. I said, Baruch Hashem, I know the company, I know the people, I'm well aware of the tremendous uh, things that are going on, and I was brought up with this. My father took no prisoners. You walked into his office, you didn't have like a serious mahalach and a sugi to tell him that he's going to argue on. Uh, don't bother walking into the office. I was standing there once. A guy went to look at a Reuters machine to see a position in a commodity. And the Reuters machine was in my father's office, and I figured out later that's why, because he wanted to be Marbet's tyrant. They had to walk into the office even if they didn't want to, so they had to prepare something. <laughs> strange situation, but not so strange. And the guy would stand outside. I was a little boy. I was 10 years old. Right? The guy standing outside, I said, uh, my father, why doesn't he come in? He said, it's a long story. <laughs> so there's enough time to do your work and um, also talk and learning a little bit. And in this Tkufa, my father is not the main character in this story, although I know the story through him because I remember it like it was yesterday. There was a um, very, very greedy, wicked fellow who used to be dressed in a tie and a suit. He was a Westerner, better than what they have now. Uh, his name was the Shah of Iran. Anybody ever hear of him? That's before the Khomeini's. Khomeini's actually tried to kill him, had a revolution, threw him out, and now we have, as bad as you think somebody could be, this is worse. He was at least an American ally, dressed like a Westerner, and he's a pretty cruel guy, and um, made uh, billions of dollars. Iran has a lot of oil. You don't send the video to that part of the world, do you? This is censored information. Uh, I have long memories. So the Shah at uh, that particular point in time, this was in the 1970s, and oil used to trade at a very low price for decades. For anybody who grew up after that, I barely remember this. I was a little boy. But oil used to trade at very low numbers in the teens, and then all of a sudden, due to, of course, the Yidden, so they blamed it on the Yom Kippur War and the, the crisis, and oil started shooting up, and to numbers they never imagined. And 25, 30, 35, if you grew up in the last few decades, you used to going 60, 70, 80, 90, those numbers were not real for decades and decades. And there were two Yidden from the company, which was very Yiddish, uh, that my father was part of. They traded in commodities, and whatever commodities it was, whatever uh, can potentially be a deal. And they were getting into oil then. Difference is, everybody wanted to get into oil, but they had a direct line to the Shah of Iran, which Kamat didn't exist. Direct line means they would fly in and sit in this palace and trade oil. 
So at a particularly feverish time, where oil was inching up past what they thought was even possible, they're discussing with him a major deal on a futures contract to go out months, and a couple of them even a year or two, which is uh, eternity for what the oil market was doing then. And he quoted them a price that was $25 above anybody's wildest dream for that week. Now, we look at oil, you know, then with COVID, and it could be at 16, go down the air, but it didn't happen then. For, for 100 years, oil was what it was, and now it's going up. But uh, how much can it go up already? He quoted them some ridiculous price. And you've got to be very careful when you speak to the Shah of Iran, by the way. Be very respectful in case you ever bump into anybody like that. And the brochus uh, you make on a ruler, we don't make the brochus shame because you need a ruler like King Henry VIII who can, you know, kill people. And so he was such a You can make a brochus on him. I just tell people it's not too nageh, because anybody you can get close enough to make that brochus, you probably shouldn't be there. So it's not often you get to make the brochus. You can make the brochus on him. But they're friendly, so they're sitting there, and they uh, said something like, Your Highness, um, that's uh, quite a uh, preposterous number. So he told them, that's my number. I think it's going there and well beyond. I think you're going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to make a lot of money. And they looked at him like he had three heads. And they said, well... It sounds a little wild to us, but you know, we're adventurous people. Raila Dover, they're sitting in the palace of the Shah of Iran, and there's only the three of them in the whole palace. And they said, okay, uh, Mr. Your Highness, Omnipotence, whatever they called him, they said, can we um, use the phone? We just need about five, ten minutes. We have to call New York. He turns to them and he said, um, no, there's no phone. So they looked at each other, looked at him, said, there's no phone here. We understand. We'll go out. We'll go to the side office. You stay here in your throne. You know, we'll, uh... So he said, no, there's no phone anywhere here. They said, there's no phone in the palace? Most of Iran was starving. Still a pretty built-up area, like high-tech. And... So I said, are you sure there's no phone? We'd be willing to walk down the block? I got a pay phone anywhere? Something? This is billions of dollars. We can bankrupt the company. If you sign a futures deal and you don't keep it, you're in bigger trouble, especially with the Shah. So they weren't playing around. And he said, no, 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 you didn't understand. There are plenty of phones here in the palace. I just don't have any phones for you. Now they're really confused. You have plenty of phones about these. We promise we won't break it. We'll just talk it. We just need it for five minutes. We can't make a decision like that. So he said, gentlemen, if you're big enough and special enough to deal directly with the Shah of Iran, somebody had called him, the Shah says, the week before, the week before that, people want access. You people are privileged and you have direct access. You're big boys. You need to make the decision by yourself. If you have to call headquarters, you can't do business directly with me. So for you, I have no phone. Okay, now what? This is, on the one hand, a fireable offense. Because if they sign, you can't come back to New York 
after all the screaming and yelling, I say, well, you guys signed. That's your problem. Well, it's their problem. They're not going to survive the experience. So they're hoping and praying that somebody stands behind them, that somebody lived in Riverdale for many, many years, if you haven't figured it out yet. And on the other hand, there's an absolute ridiculous risk to take, and they made enough money, and this is out of control. On the third hand, if you have any hand left, how do you uh, walk away from a deal like this? So they said, uh, we need uh, 20 minutes, so we'll let you know. They were hoping he'd reconsider and give him a phone. He never gave him a phone. He didn't want to give him a phone because he knew that if they'd call New York, they would tell them they're out of their minds and uh, they're not entering into any such deal because they can lose everything they have. And he wanted to make the deal, and he knew they'd stand behind it. Before I get to the end of the story, if I even get to the end of the story, Roshana's coming, Saris Mechuva, Yom Kippur. We are privileged as the Amin to have a direct line with the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And one of the things we do for convenience is we don't like to have the Achrayas. That's what this is all about. Ni'ani, ma'ani, I'll give a little stucca, and he'll daven for me, and he'll daven for me, and what can I really do? We don't like to be in a position where somebody tells us straight the honest truth. It's up to you, and you can't put this decision on somebody else. And the Shah, who I'm not looking to be Malamit's Chusan, because he was not a great guy, but he said over something so powerful. He said, if you're playing with the big boys and you're big enough and smart enough to be sitting here with the potential for profit like this, you've got to seize the initiative and make up your mind. If you're still depending on other people, you're not a serious player. And the godless of the Amenifcher of Yiddishkeit is that at the end of the day, we really don't depend. We give each other chizik, we can teach, we can learn, we can give guidance. At the end of the day, it's a cop-out if somebody says, yeah, I'm not really so chosher, so it's not up to me. So it's not up to you. You need the kayach you need guidance. But at the end of the day, there are many phenomenal things you can do when you realize that, Lamaisa, it is up to me. And if you start shifting at everybody else and calling everybody else and constantly using that phone, it's never going to become a real possibility and that potential will never be raised. I'll just say Barem is everybody made a lot of money. Otherwise, you guys are going to be hounding me as I walk out. It was a crazy risk to take. And in finances with somebody else's money, you can don. Mutter, usher, it makes it good cheer. So mutter, that, shlichus, the position in the company. The shaila has come up since then, and I use this as a marshal, but the financial halachic cheshemishpat is not the point right now. The point is that nobody likes to assume the buck stops here. And it's easier just to put it on somebody else, not realizing we have a lot more potential than we think. So, no time like the present, and the, the Electricity, I mentioned before, just the kaychas and schusen coming from this room, the fact that people are awake and listening and focusing, you guys really look like you're listening, it is a tremendous, tremendous schus that you're sending hashpos everywhere. 
But we have to know everything we do sends hashpahs, ben l'tay, ben And it is really up to us. We just have to realize the potential is there and maximize it. And then we can approach the alchets and the things that went wrong. We're going to do serious shuva and try to burn it, try to stay away from it next time, but not ignore the things that are not printed in the Siddur. And that is, what did I miss out on? Everybody should keep up the great work. We're talking doing great work, and we should pat ourselves on the back once in a while. But we should also understand that there's a lot of work to be done. Mr. Hashem, we should use the keiches and be up to it, and the tefillah should be in the skabel for exivach simatayva, begezunt benachas, la botzester, and kiddushem shemaim. Thank you for listening.